Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Ready Room. I'm your host, Richard Frederick, and this time I'm back in The Ready Room with your co-host, Chunks, Keith Phillip. Uh, and we're getting back to our roots in this episode. Um, we start off a little bit of talk about COVID-19 in the beginning, just kind of uh, updating ourselves. But really quickly uh, after that, we get back into our uh, aviation roots. Uh, Chunks and I basically talk about how we got into aviation, what drew us to it in the first place, and our different paths for becoming Marine Corps aviators. And it's fascinating to hear his story uh, when compared to mine. Everybody has a different story and how they get to where Uh, they are in terms of being a Marine Corps aviator. And all of those stories start with being really one of the best of the best. Uh, It's important to remind ourselves sometimes, at least for me, I have to remind myself that, you know, what I accomplished is something that very, very few people can accomplish. It's very much like becoming a a professional athlete. Uh, The barriers to entry are high. Uh, just Just to be able to start the program, you have to be mentally and physically above um, the rest of the population. And then as you start down that road and you have to go to officer candidate school and the basic school and then make it through flight school, I would say that of the people that start down the road to becoming a Marine Corps combat pilot, probably about 25% of them actually get their wings of gold. Uh, And that's from a starting group of people that already have proven themselves to be uh, probably in the top 10% of the population anyway. And I can tell you this, uh, of those that make it and get those wings of gold, um, just like professional athletes that make it to the top of their, you know, into the uh, into the major leagues, if you get to the show, you've you have already proven yourself. But then there are certain certain athletes, right? Certain people that even stand out there. You know, when you talk about Hank Aaron, uh, you know, for every one of those, there's uh, several dozen guys that got there, and you'll never remember their names. They're not Hall of Famers, uh, but I can tell you this, chunks is one of those Hall of Famers. Uh, he is a superstar among superstars, and it was great to hear his stories. So we talked about how we started in it, and then we talked some flying stories from our career, you know, stuff that stood out as being a pilot uh, that really, you know, some of those stories that just were so, you, you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Um, and, and in this episode, there's one story in particular that Chunks tells that um, that gave me goosebumps. I, I really blew my mind. I'll tell you, when it comes to your co-host, Chunks, he is one of my dearest friends, and I want to say this about Chunks. I find a new reason to respect that man every time I talk to him. We do not see things always eye to eye, but I can tell you this. If it came down to a fight, I would want no one other than Chunks beside me because I know this. He would not stop, and he would give it all he has every time. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really, really fun for me, and, and we're going to do this more often. We're going to get some of our other buddies from the Marine Corps to come in and uh, and have them tell their stories as well because uh, sometimes we forget just how fascinating that is to people that, uh, that have not been there. So uh, without further ado, welcome back to the Ready Room. Hope you enjoy it. All right, brother. Hey, Bart, man. We're on. I see. Welcome to the ready room. Yeah, exactly, brother. So, um, yeah, you were you you just got back from Denver, right? I did. Training for the firehouse? No, for my other job. Learned a new aircraft. Oh, really? Yeah. The EC-130. Nice. That was good. Dude, that's real good, man. Man, I yeah, I miss uh, I miss learning new aircraft. I, I'd like to I'd like to do that now. Yeah, it's funny because I talked to a guy on the way out there who who said he doesn't like. He's like, I'm too old. 
to learn new, new aircraft. But I always enjoy it, man. I like getting into the systems and seeing how the guys solve all the different problems that are presented. And Yeah, I, I agree. It, there's nothing like when you get into something new and you're – yeah, I mean, I get the fire hose effect of learning new systems and EPs and limitations and all. Yeah, that can get kind of kind of boring, but – yeah, just wiggling the sticks on a new aircraft is always is always fun. Yeah, I kind of even thrive on the on the information overload though, man. Oh, to be yeah. Honest. yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the challenge of uh, parsing it and then studying it and and memorizing it. And I have a pretty good memory, which is a blessing. It always has been. I could go through procedures and get them down pretty quick. And now I'm to the point in my career where it's like I, there's almost a certain amount of intuition that goes along with it. Oh yeah, you know the systems are essentially uh, the same major components among all aircraft. So it's not hard to think through the problem. You can kind of anticipate the next step as you're learning it. And that makes it, you know, you can make those contextual connections in your head. It makes it a lot easier to learn. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, you, you kind of get a, a feel. Uh, the more aircraft you learn, the, you get a feel for what it is you need to uh, focus on. Yeah. And right. then, you, know, you can, you can weed out the uh, chaff and, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that, man. Yeah, I wish I was. I wish I was learning something new right now. It'd be kind of fun. But so, what's going, what's going on at the uh, firehouse, by the way? Uh, it's business was down pretty precipitously, to be honest. Um, we modified our response protocols. That hasn't really changed, but the call volume is starting to creep back up. I, I think people are coming out of their shell, in spite of what you know the governor's mandates are. There, people are. I see more people out and about everywhere that I go. I just thought that was a very interesting dynamic that when everything locked down, you would think that 911 calls would be going up, but they actually went down. And I don't know if people didn't want to be in an ambulance and didn't want to be in a hospital. I don't, but, but there was even like a routine fire calls where people burn their dinner and we go to the same address four times in a four night shift. Um, that wasn't happening. It was just dead quiet. It was very, very interesting. Of course, it wasn't 100% that it wasn't happening, but without the same frequency. I just thought, man, that dynamic kind of rung my bell. I was like, hmm, why is this going on this way? And I still don't have an answer. Yeah, that is. Locked that is. completely down. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I, I'd i like to know what, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have a guess as that either. Your, your guess would be better than mine. So if you don't have one, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, at least you're getting out. Good completely shut down everything yeah you know yeah it, i'm at least you're getting out i i i was saying that to ari the other day i was like man this is uh <laughs> this is it's it's not hard of course it's it's um you know physically it's easy um and really emotionally it's not bad i i guess i mean in terms of you know spending time with the family but yeah i'm, I'm just uh Boy, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just bored. I mean, you know, we, we walk on the farm all the time. We go for walks and, uh, you know, I'm doing homeschooling with Rory and uh, we watch movies. I've watched some Netflix. Not too much, actually. I'm, I'm not I really. We play more. You know, we play some games and yeah, we're, we're doing good. And, but, um, man. I just want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go sit at a restaurant with some, some people <laughs> and be like, Hey, fellow, fellow human beings. <laughs> so I'm just now beginning to crack the threshold of feeling that part, man. Yeah. And I, you know, there's been times in my life where I realized that I just have been 
abundantly blessed, man. And I tried to be very appreciative of that. And this is one of them, dude, because like I said last time, my life has been essentially unaltered. My schedule has not changed at all. Yeah. I'm going all the same places I would normally go. The only difference is uh, when I get there, there might be one other person and I have to wear a mask. But other than that, I'm not, uh, I'm not making any gross deviations from my daily routine. Yeah. Existed before all this stuff happened. And I guess the real big exception to that is what we were talking about before we started recording was the homeschooling aspect of it and spending more time uh, at the table, pen in hand with my children to help guide them through their requirements at school. Because the, the, the volume of work that I'm experiencing with that is pretty high. And, and I don't, I mean, that burden to educate your children is essentially shifted I'd say at a rate of about 85% to the home now, because you would think, you know, during a five day school week, they probably would have each class at least once or, you know, once a day in that five days. So you're talking about an 80% reduction in their contact with their teachers. And I don't really see the workload going down. So now I have to bridge that gap. And I, I wrote an email to the principal and say, listen, you know, I don't have the time because I'm, I'm at work, you know, I, I, my, I'm still going to work every day. I don't sit at home. And yeah. so I can only imagine the parents that have, you know, three or four children at home and one computer, like how the heck are they even doing it? Yeah, that would be tough. Um, that's a great point, John, because like I, like we were saying, you know, my daughter's in second grade and she's the only one homeschooling. So uh, despite the fact that her workload is, you know, essentially the same, I mean, we, we get up at our leisure <laughs> I mean, you know, she has her breakfast, uh, we watch some cartoons and, uh, and then it's like, Hey, time to get on and do your schoolwork. And she's got, you know, six or seven subjects, depending on the day. And we get through them from probably, you know, anywhere from nine 30 to 1230. We're done three hours. Yeah. Just boom, boom, boom. Hey, keep going. And then she has lunch and then she gets some, uh, some screen time. And then after that, we're, she's just playing with JD. We go for a walk, uh, you know, we, we make dinner, whatever. It's all good. But yeah, we just want, I, it would be nice to be able to get out, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll even, to go, even to go use the playground. I mean, you can't even use the oh, playground. Yeah. Got yeah, it all taped crazy. off. I mean, what the heck you know, is that? Well, you add in the dinners and the playground, man. That sounds like a hell of a day. Oh, it's yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, it, it's good. It's good that we've been able to, to have this, but I do think, you know, for one, she, she does miss her friends. Now we have, we have quarantine friends. Um, I, I'm, I've been trying to ask if other people have that too. I think some people do, some people don't. I'm sure that's frowned upon, but I don't care. But we have some friends that we've been kind of quarantining with. <laughs> they're our buddies and uh, yeah. they're like family now. And so we hang out with them. We get to go and uh, we have dinners. We had a barbecue on my birthday. Their kids play with my kids. They're the same age, basically, and so we we do at least have that. Uh, without without them, I mean, just it, it would this would be this would feel like cabin fever. Uh, right. I'm surprised there's not more Jack Nicholson uh, shining stuff going on. Uh, <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff. I, those are the kind of calls I think I, th- I thought you'd be getting, but yeah, no, nothing like that. Very very surprising. Yeah, In a lot of ways. You know, I talked to uh, I talked to my brother about this. Uh, we didn't talk at in depth but he he was he's like us he i think the word he used was flummoxed which is a great word (laughs) it's like he goes i'm flummoxed bart (laughs) it's like 
it's not the first time. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, I resemble that too. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he's like, I, I just don't get it. And I'm like, I, I don't either, Bill. Um, but you know, fear is a powerful motivator. Oh my gosh, man. It's uh, driving yeah. everything right now. Yeah. And I, and it, uh, it is driving our response. Um, you know, worst so, case, worst case scenario, uh, computer, you know, um, modeling, um, all of that, you know, pointing to the things that are bad and not the things that are good. And just, you know, the majority of, we've talked about this chunks coming from our profession. Um, and, and in your case, you know, your professions, you know, we aren't the, we aren't the kind of people that, that, you know, we're fear is our, our prime, you know, uh, you know, flight is our prime response. It's fight instead. And so instead of, you know, instead of thinking, Oh my God, you know, there's this, there's this virus and, and some, you know, it could be bad. We're ready to freaking face it, uh, in a way that's much more, uh, you know, that is riskier or would seem riskier to the average person. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. No, it's perfect. Yeah. I think that most people, um, are not that they're they're afraid and their self-preservation is is high and they're you know the the preservation for the ones they love they'll, they'll say that you know like oh but i have a you know i have a grandmother who's 84 years old she's at risk I'm, okay yeah I, I i understand that um we should probably uh we should probably take measures for those that are at risk um but we should also uh graduate those measures depending on whether you're more at risk or less and the numbers continue to keep coming in. And uh, I think I got 0.14 is the math I did right before we got on on this. And uh, I think it's going to end up being below that uh, because that denominator is going to keep coming up. Well, I started to have a little bit of buyer's remorse after the last show, Bartman, because when you consider the death toll from March to April, it was a pretty significant number. Not when not weighted against the cases just from, you know, like 300 to 45,000 in a month. That was like a, you know, a big spike. And I thought that I thought, man, maybe I ought to backpedal on my opinion about this. But since that time, I've kind of come back down the wave because uh, there's, we're just now hitting over a million cases and I still submit not, not close to a bad flu season as to what's going on. I think what drives people, and it's interesting because you said it probably exactly the way I would have said it, if we would have graduated the response. What, what mystifies me about people's response to this is how they've gone all the way over to the absolute worst case, the absolute most preventative posture that we could be in to the, at the expense of our economy and our own welfare. Yeah. And so um, there's just almost no rational uh, logic to it because – when you consider there's a million people in the United States that have it, and then you consider that, you know, the, the CDC estimate is up to 56 million people having the flu, and you haven't contracted the flu, you haven't considered contracting the flu, and you've been just fine, your chances are infinitesimally smaller of contracting COVID-19 with only a million pieces of, you know, cases of exposure. Now, of course, the argument would be, well, we haven't tested everyone, we don't know. Well, you don't test everyone for the flu, so it's a it's a neutral baseline where you start from. I mean, the, the numbers that are presenting are the numbers you have to use. Yes, there could be a lot more, but um, relatively on a scale, 
the risk is so much smaller from COVID-19 today based on the numbers. Well, let me say this then, John. So here's my take is not only is, is, are there a lot more people that have had this? Uh, I would say that it's, it's, um, it's probably 10 times as many as we know at this point, maybe even more. Uh, I would say that your risk of getting COVID-19, this is what I, this is what I think. Your risk of getting COVID-19 at this point, if you're an American, is probably about 100% in my mind, because as soon as we poke our heads back out, we're all going to get it. That's what I've been saying the whole time. And I, there's other people that have said that too. Um, uh, the, the doctor, and I'm, I'm going to draw a blank on his name, uh, the doctor, the, no, 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 um, the guy at Minnesota who, who runs. Uh, uh, oh, I read an article from him the other day. Yeah, I'm, I, it begins with an H. I'm sorry that I'm drawing a blank. Um, but in any case, he, he was saying, hey, look, the bottom line is, you, what, you know, when you flatten the curve, uh, as we have done, um, you're, you're, only, you're, you're only doing that. You're, you're only limiting the amount of cases at any given time. That's what you're doing so that you save uh, ICU space, bed space. Um, but the bottom line is we're, we're probably all going to get this because it's still there. And, and so we have to, when we come back out, we're, we're going to get it. Um, and so my, I don't, I, yeah, you can use the numbers that are there, but it's quite apparent to me that, um, that there are way more people that have had this way more people than we could possibly know. And when, when you factor that in, according to the number of deaths, it, the fatality rate is that that's what I'm going for because I don't, yeah, we're going to, it's going to be here. This virus is going to be with us. Um, many, many people are going to get it. When we, when we open society back up, we're, we're probably going to get it. Um, but the, it's the fatality rate. That's what I've always been focused on. And it, it appears to me uh, that, you know, the studies coming out, the USC study that came out, uh, there's others, um, that uh, the, the fatality rate is much, much lower than we were led to believe um, or, or that the worst case scenario was was predicting um well that's where i want the accountability to come in is these computer models like i'm even beginning to doubt dr fauci who at first i thought this guy's a square shooter man he's good to go but i i don't know now because he hangs his hat on what i think have turned out to be very questionable resources and he's still doing it the ihme study i mean uh, predictions have all been put to pot they've been downgrading the entire time there's some questionable background with that, with that organization, how they came into the forefront. I don't know. It's really kind of strange to me, but the bottom line is nothing has been playing out the way that they said. And that's okay because if we are just talking about pandemic and the effect of the pandemic, fine. All right. We blew it. We had some bad models, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about pre-election slowdown of the economy to the point where there's four, was it Pennsylvania? Four million people uh applying front like in six weeks man five percent of the gdp down they're yeah. talking numbers up toward the 40s for the next reading like it's really amazing what we've done to this country yeah i agree uh so dr fauci is great um i i, I believe he is a straight shooter i believe he's in earnest in what he is trying to you know present to all of us uh it's uh I do too. I just it's more. It's it's better. You know, I, I enjoy listening to him more than I enjoy uh, probably listening to the political talking heads trying to make sense of this. So uh, on both sides, I I laugh at all of that. Uh, and Dr. Fauci, I believe, is uh, an earnest man. And 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 so, but but I what I do think, and this is what you kind of mentioned, is that 
you know, there are so many people out there right now that are like, well, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Dr. Fauci is a good man, a smart man. He's, he is, uh, uh, he knows much more about, about this, uh, situation, uh, and in terms of uh, the infectious disease side of things than, than all of us. Well, not, not all of us, but you know, 99.9% of us. Um, and, and that's great. Uh, so many people are almost, it almost feels like this sort of, Oh, Dr. Fauci, take the reins, you know, show us the way, but yeah. oh, wait a minute. Uh, Dr. Fauci is an expert on a certain thing, but he is not an expert on everything. And, right. and there are other things to consider with this. That's what I keep. That's what I keep saying to people. I'm like, Hey, I got it. I, I get it. This is, you know, this is something new. It's a novel coronavirus. It's, uh, you know, on top of regular flu season, uh, you know, if it, we had allowed it to kind of just go unchecked, we possibly could have been looking at severe ICU shortages and, and deaths that may have been prevented. Uh, on the other hand, our response to this also must be measured. And Dr. Fauci is not an economist. He has an expertise in a particular field. Um, but it takes experts from all fields to be able to craft a response that is going to do uh, the least amount of damage given all of the variables and the variables are infinite and also have second and third order effects at this point. Uh, it appears to me that and just, this is just me looking and what I was saying from the beginning is, Hey, we want to take steps, but they shouldn't be drastic so that our economy uh, tanks. Um, and, and for me, the economy, it has nothing to do with the election. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's going, it's going to have an effect on the election as the economy always does, but I don't even look at it in that term. I'm just like, Hey, no, I, this is, I look at it in terms of the United States of America uh, and my fellow citizens and the citizens of the world, um, because frankly, we're, we're all suffering because most of us have, have, uh, have shut down everything, you know, and this idea that, you know, not even one life is worth, you know, keeping our economy going, but, but that's bullshit. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Uh, you can't put a, you can't put a number on a life. Well, yes, you can. You absolutely can. I, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, I tried to look it up. I think it's an average of two and a half million when you talk about insurance and wrongful death suits and stuff like that. Uh, that's just one number that I looked up cause I was like, Hey, what is the value of your life now? What is the value of a human life? Like your son to you? It's, it's, it's not calculable. It's not two and a half million. Isn't that right? Chunks. Like if, if one of, if one of my kids died from this, I would be inconsolable to the point of probably thinking about putting a gun up to my head or something to that effect. Cause I would be so sad. On the other hand, I would not blame the rest of society for what happened because they were trying to go about their lives. Uh, and I guess that's the difference. You know, you want people to die. Okay. You know, I, I don't, uh, here's four mile an hour speed limit. I just saved lives. Oh, that's not reasonable. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's we're so self-important, Bartman, as a culture. You know what I mean? It's like our, as we spent time in the Middle East, you realize how honestly life is cheap over there when you see dead babies on trash piles because they had some feature that wasn't desired or they couldn't pay for them. And I mean, even life here cheap with the amount of the abortions and murders that happen. But overall, we have a very self-important point of view as if our little space that we live in is somehow altering time when the reality is time just churns man and we're just on the paddle wheel and we're going to get winged off it one day and then people aren't even going to remember you a week after you're gone to tell you the truth yeah that's absolutely right you live well within your sphere during the time that you're alive so that the connections around you are uh functional and rewarding but 
the, the truth of the matter is tell me somebody that was alive in the 50s you know and if you're not if you weren't directly impacted by them then you don't know because they're dead and gone and the continuum goes on you know what i'm saying so uh yeah is one life important critically important to the people in that sphere but not not important enough to completely alter our way of life and put us at risk for so many other like you said second and third order of effects that are inevitably going to come from this and are beginning to have, well, they've been hurting people for a month. now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, to quote uh, one of my favorite authors, um, you know, we're all fellow travelers to the grave, uh, Charles Dickens. And, um, and, and as we travel to the grave, we, we need to uh, live, live our lives in a way that is uh, um, in, in accordance with the three priorities, which are in my, in my case, at least moral, mental, and physical, and all of that means that we have a human existence that is uh, uh, that is as rich as it can be. Uh, and in order to do that, to make that the best for everybody, I, I believe we need to have measured um, we need to have measured policies that allow every individual to to reach their fullest potential. None of us are reaching our potential right now. I, I some of us are. Some of us that are in the limelight, I guess, uh, are 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 out there kind of doing their thing, and that's uh, and that's good. Um, Again, I don't want to take I, I I don't want to say it's hard because I, I absolutely see all of this. You know, I don't want I don't want people to die from COVID-19. I, I don't um, I don't want us to have a, uh, you know, to deal with a, uh, a health crisis that has our hospitals overloaded um, to the point that, you know, p- patients are lined up in the hallway dying um, like they did in parts of Italy. On the other hand, I, I also think we need to consider all of the other aspects um, and that maybe, again, I know everybody's been looking at the Sweden model. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts uh, uh, talking with Swedish officials and their their theory on how they've handled it with the uh, with keeping their country open uh, and doing, uh, you know, voluntary guidelines for their uh, for their citizens for the most part. And I, their theories seem to me to be more measured, and that's what I keep using that word measured. In terms, and they're not of worse off than anybody. They're yeah. in the yeah, their numbers are are higher uh, to the than their neighbors. But then, as they point out, I think rightfully, yeah, their their neighbors are locked indoors, you know, uh, like we are, and they're not. So, the idea is that when we start to come back out, that they will, their neighbors will have a spike that the Swedes will not. Now, that. I don't know if that's going to be the case, you know, time will tell, but I don't know. All of this is uh, odd to me and I, I'm, I'm heartened to see some of the States starting to open back up. I hope that that continues. I imagine that my particular state of New Jersey will be uh, in a battle for last place with New York and California, but we'll see. Yeah. And potentially Pennsylvania. <laughs> potentially Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, in any case. Yeah. So, well, enough with the COVID-19 stuff, man. Yeah, let's shift gears. Break. <laughs> Talk some flying. Want to talk some flying? Absolutely, brother. Yeah, I'll let you take the lead too. I, I had a couple of ideas of things that I could talk about, but um, man, when it comes to flying, I, I, your stories are going to be so much better than mine uh, because you had combat tours over there in the uh, Snake, um, and my combat tours, were, uh, at least when I was in, were were uh, were not uh, flying the Cobra. So, well, I think that that's the beauty of flying. You know. It, one of the things that we talked about in preparation for the show was what aircraft we loved and to that point, you know, not everything is going to be the Cobra. Yeah. But that's the great thing about flying is it's such a broad spectrum of experiences you get to have. And 
I mean, hell, when I was 17, I was content just to fly a Piper Tomahawk down the shore. And like every time I did it, it was the thing that ever happened. It was a day. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I love flying. And I think that's why when you look at, I mean, I guess I don't know how it goes today, but when I was a kid and all that, you, there were certain things that you were going to inevitably go through. You wanted to have a motorcycle. You wanted to be a fireman. You wanted to be a pilot. And, um, I got two of those. You got all three. So you're winning. Yeah. Well, um, I'm not that good on a motorcycle though, Bart, man. Oh, really? <laughs> my boy's Dude, I thought you said you were, you said you were freaking motocross guy. No, BMX. Yeah. BMX. My bad. My bad. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. We're going back a ways. But, um, yes. Yeah, so I just think, <laughs> I don't know why I had an image of you on, in a trickster video, you know, bring you going up over. <laughs> BMX, my bad. Well, well, yeah, for, without a motor, it was great. Well, listen, dude, you need to get a bike then because I got mine and we go ride together. Yeah. I need to find a better spot than I've got right now for my boy to go. He does have a dirt bike and he's chomping at the bit to get out on that thing again. In fact, Saturday, we're going to tear it down and clean it up and put it back together. He wants to nice. get it side of it which i just love the fact that that boy has an interest in bending wrenches is really cool but i've got that jeep you know and i make him go out there with me and uh and work on it both of them i say you can drive it when you're when it's your time but you're gonna help me fix it too you're gonna to do things to it yeah and it's a 90 so it's there's things you can major end items you can repair on it you know yeah yeah not like the newer ones dude that's a dad win for you brother Heck yeah Anyway, sorry. Yeah, keep you yeah. were saying about this aircraft and the and the pipe. Yeah, so you know, flying. Um, for me, what's interesting about it, and I mean this every ounce of it sincerely and truly, is my earliest memories from when I was a child were of this Air Force commercial where they had all these, and I didn't know what they were at the time, but T thirty eights on a flight line with the sun behind them, and I just thought. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And that image, that, that drive, that desire was in my head from my earliest days. And, and it carried me all the way through, uh, you know, to where I sit presently. And, and I think, man, you know, with, with the benefit of age and some slight wisdom thinking what a gift that is to have that, uh, desire in my gut at such a young age because it kept me from going off the rails because you know I came from a place where it's not hard to go off the rails and lots of guys do go off the rails and I had my moments along the way where my wheels started to get off the rails but in the grand scheme you know that thing kept my head in the clouds um, and it kept me focused outside of my present situation and had a goal are you talking about before you were in the Marine Corps or oh, I'm talking about before I'm in the Marine Corps, man, yeah. I, I, I could fly before I could drive. Yeah. So when I was a junior in high, in high school, I went, so there was another kid in my high school, uh, Robbie, that was already flying. And when I found that out, it was like, it took this dream that I had from a young age and it codified it like, holy crap, I can do this tomorrow. And that's literally what happened. I say, Robbie, when are you going down again? And he said, Friday or whatever. And I jumped in and went down with them and uh, took my first lesson. It was an orientation flight that ended up being my first lesson. And that was great. You know, and I always wonder how he did and what he ended up doing, but um, cause we lost touch after high school, but that was the, the gateway for me. And I could, I didn't even have a driver's license at that point. So 
um yeah i mean that's how it all started for me man i, I would i'm with you i so i like you said you know if you're uh if you're a kid especially a male kid not that the girls don't do this too but, but i think most boys especially are, are you know you're right uh firefighters planes race cars um all of those things that uh, of course uh soldiers you know i mean man we we played more we yeah. played more guns in the in the woods back there was a creek behind my i can just remember us all going out there with uh you know, with, with sticks for guns and, and uh, making teams. And then just, you know, like this elaborate group tag game, it was good, but all of those things, you know, and I, I remember even in high school, I had posters of F-15s, F-18s, yeah. um, you, you know, A-4s, uh, F-4s. I had so many, all these flying posters all over my room, up over the garage there. Um, and I always thought, man, yeah, I want to be a pilot. And I remember looking into it, uh, early on and, and I don't, for whatever reason, the barriers that were there. And, and I mean, looking into it from the military standpoint, um, and this is when I was down in Virginia in school. And I, I remember thinking, oh, the barriers are, geez, I, I got, I got no time for all this, man. I got, you know, and, and, and then somehow, and I tell this story all the time, how it happened. I remember, so I, I, I transferred up to Penn state, um, and I think that was in 92. Um, and, um, you know, I was major, I majored in broadcast journalism. So I was a journalism major. And, um, and I remember my junior year and I was on the five-year program for college because of that transfer. Uh, but my junior year, I went up to the, the third floor of the Wagner building there at Penn state, which is where my dad was the executive officer of the uh, Naval ROTC unit at the time. My brother was in the ROTC unit. So already uh, he had a, a high and tight and a uniform and was already that guy. <laughs> uh, he still is. Uh, yeah. God bless him. You know, he found it, found his niche early. Um, you know, so me, I had long hair and um, or longer hair. It's at that point. I, uh, and, uh, and I wore this, this green trench coat and uh, I was the black sheep. So I remember walking up there and just walking into my dad's office and plopping down on a desk, you know, like, Hey dad, you know, and everybody's looking at me like, there's that other Bartolomea. <laughs> Look at him. So disrespectful. I'm like, yeah, well, it's my dad. What do you want me to do, man? And Hey, I'm not a part of your organization. So lay <laughs> off. And, uh, so, but I remember I, I go, Hey dad, um, uh, I just wanted to talk about, um, you know, what I'm going to do after school. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, what's up? And I, I remember telling him, hey, I'm not, I don't like this journalism thing. It's not for me. Um, you know, I was never into journalism, journalism, you know. Uh, anyway, I, I thought I was going to be like the next Dan Patrick, uh, sports broadcasting or something like that. And uh, and I was like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't want to, I don't want to pursue this. And he was like, okay. And, you know, what are you going to do? I was like, well, looks, I'm thinking about law school. Um, and, uh, I, you know, and he was like, well, that's, that's noble, you know, and, and, and as I recall, the, the conversation went something like, you know, Hey, how are you going to pay for that? And I was like, yeah, that's kind of why I'm here. I was hoping, you know, maybe if I get in, you could help me with law school. And he was like, nah, I can't do it. I got your brothers and sisters behind you. Um, and I was like, okay, well that's yeah, no, you know, no problem. Uh, just, I'll try and get a loan. You know, I'll try, I'll take the LSATs. I'll try and get into a law school. I'll get a, I'll get a loan to go to law school or wherever I can get in and I'll go be a lawyer. Um, and, and my dad who never junks, I mean, you know, people always ask, they, they ask me all the time. They're like, 
wow, you had, you know, you had an infantry lieutenant colonel dad, you know, growing up, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, like, that must have been tough, man. And I was like, nope. Um, I had a, I had a childhood that was full of nothing but love. Um, and, um, and even handedness. That's not to say that my dad couldn't raise his voice when he needed to, or even punch me. And that's another story. Um, but I didn't have any great Santini upbringing and he was never pushing me to go into the military. Right. Um, and he go, and, and so when I told him, Hey, yeah, I know whatever, I'll get a loan. He, he said, uh, well, have you ever considered the military? And I was like, uh, yeah, but not, not really. I don't. And, and he was like, well, you know, it's just something to consider. Uh, you could, you know, they'll help you pay for law school. You just got to give them a few years and then you can get out and take your paper somewhere else. And I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not, it, that's worth a shot. Right. And so, um, and, and at that point, Chunks, you know, being the type A guy that I, I am, you know, I, like I, like we've talked about, I consider myself a type A hippie. Um, I'm very much my own person. I do not like group think, uh, heterodox think, um, I'm sorry, uh, orthodox think. I'm a heterodox thinker. And I, I, you know, the idea of uniforms and stuff, <laughs> I've always been kind of, on the other hand, I'm competitive, you know, and I was a wrestler and I was always in good shape. And um, so when it, when it came to that, and of course, growing up around Marines, you know, those kind of, the kind of men that, that my dad knew um, that we hung out with as a family, it wasn't even a, a thing. I just was like, okay, I'm going down to the Marine Corps office because they're the they're the badasses uh so at least that part must have been you know at least uh, instilled in me or or apparent to me um and so he goes yeah captain ranky's the oso i know him he goes go down there and i showed up and captain ranky of course was like you know and my dad man he just had that 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 guy made an impression a positive impression on almost every single person that he met in this world and so many people and i go down there and captain ranky's like you're Colonel Bart's son. Oh, I love that guy. Oh my God. He's the greatest. Blah, blah. I was like, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I get this all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I don't have that, that he had, you know, no one, no one goes, Oh, Bartman's the greatest guy I've ever met, <laughs> but that's okay. And so I, you know, I started talking to him about it and told him what I wanted to do. And I, and he, it, it basically went like this, John, he, he kind of, you know, I got my, my paperwork starting to sign and I got my transcripts to him or he got the transcripts. And the next time I talked to him, he goes, Hey man, listen, he goes, uh, I get two of these Jag slots a year and, uh, you, you're not going to be competitive. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, we'll make you a pilot. Okay. yeah, well, that was kind of what happened. That's exactly where I'm going. So he goes, <laughs> I was like, well, okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm about to walk out and he goes, well, no, there's other things you can do. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm not interested. And he goes, well, what? just take a look, you know? And, uh, and he put in a, um, a VHS tape, so of course I'm aging myself, um, of Marine Corps aviation. And it was, you know, A4s and OV-10s and F4s. You know, it had been made 10 years prior. Surprised it wasn't a slide, pro- you know, projector presentation. But it, um, so, and, but it was awesome. You know, CH-46s landing, guys jumping out the back. And I, you know, the whole video, I was just like wide-eyed. I was like, okay, yeah, I've always loved flying. I had posters all over my room. Like I said, I was like, I can do that. And he goes, well, yeah, you got, <laughs> you got some stuff to do first, you know, you know, he tried to explain it. I was like, uh, okay. So I signed up, signed up. And then that summer I went to Quantico and was in OCS and uh, that was the start of it for me. So yeah, my, my, my way in was, 
was different. I, I, I didn't do any of it really beforehand. So that's a great story though. I mean, how many guys end up in that same predicament position, you know, and they, and doors open in front of them that they didn't anticipate. And then they're end up in the ready room with you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, great guys. They're great guys. Yeah, that's exactly it. People are like, you you know, my high school buddies would be like, you're doing what? I'm like, uh, yeah, (laughs) going to to fly combat planes in the Marine Corps. (laughs) And they're like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, but you're dumb, Bart. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, (laughs) let's see how this works out. (laughs) Man, live through it. First of all. Well, of course, you know, and then I ended up in the Hilo world, uh, you know, rather than in the uh, pointy, uh, sexy uh, strike world. And, uh, and I always kind of tell people, I'm like, yeah, kind of sometimes I feel like Hilo guys are almost like a big experiment. Like, <laughs> like, OK, these guys didn't do quite as well in flight school. Let's let's see how they do. You know, <laughs> well, you know, what's really interesting about is it totally debunks that myth. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that probably is. a I, I don't know. It's anecdotally seems to be the way that the Navy really works. But in the Marine Corps, there were guys at flight school that were, they were killing it and they wanted to fly frogs. Yep. You know what I mean? They wanted like their grand or their grandfather, their father flew CH-46s and that's what they wanted to do. And that's all they wanted to do. And they were the best dudes. I mean, and it's really funny you say about that VHS tape and the way that it was like, yeah, I got you all jacked up. I've always felt like every day in the Marine Corps was like that for real. I mean, I, I got to be honest, the people out there probably rolling their eyes right now, but yeah, I mean, of course, it's it's the big suck, right? The bum in summer and all that. So not every day was like that in the Marine Corps, but sure as hell, every time I climbed in that cockpit, especially when we were doing something really cool, felt like that. But even on the days we were just going out for fam ints, man, it was like, I cannot believe I'm flying this aircraft. And that was from the... From the day I found out that I got Cobras until December 19th when I took my last flight in the Cobra, that's how I felt every day in that thing. And so it was like paperwork, things at home, whatever it was that was weighing on me and making the day have a tinge of off color. I climbed in that cockpit, shut that canopy down, and it all went away, man. And I just thought every time I I would take a breath before I hit the starter and think to myself, I cannot believe I'm sitting here every fucking time, Bartman. Yeah. And it never went away. And I just, and I would, I would always think what a blessing that was, you know what I mean? Because with a full appreciation and realization that I was healthy enough, I wouldn't say smart enough, but I sure worked hard enough to get the grades I needed. Yeah. And then, um, to make it through the process without getting hurt or otherwise kicked out. Because when I went to OCS, Colonel Fox was there. We started with 63. We graduated 29 in my PLC junior class. So you were always a breath away from not being there tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yep. So all those things for them to line up um, is one of the greatest fortunes of my life. You know, probably the the second greatest behind my children, honestly. And um, man, what a hell of a time. That's it. And, And I'm at the point now after 26 years that I'm ready to move on. Honestly, the Cobra that I flew was now gone. I mean, they they put them on trucks the other day, but man, I wanted to come over and see them off, but I didn't get a chance to do it. So the new amazing. I, I mean, I have no, yeah, I haven't really been talking to anybody 
you know, because of course I've moved on too. I I didn't know that. That's yeah, they're gone, buddy. It's unbelievable. Now I think there's a few left in New Orleans, but Jersey's out of the whiskey business, man. And they yeah. trucked from west, and they I, I we had a great cross country lined up, you know, to do the whole taking them all out there, two waves, and I don't even think that went because of all this COVID nineteen stuff. I mean, I was gone by the time that the rubber was going to hit the road on that, but. That would have been fantastic, man. But yeah, it would have. It's so funny because of all the things I really kind of beginning to realize I miss, those cross-country trips, man, were they a blessing in disguise. Like by day three, you were kind of like over it. But you think about the things we got to see and do. I mean, wow, Chunks, that's amazing that you even say that. Like to me, those cross-country trips never got old. Every time I broke down somewhere on a cross-country, I was like, this is great, man. <laughs> Another day out here. And yeah. Cloud City on the edge of the empire, away from the freaking flags, somewhere with a plane, getting yeah. gas at a freaking some civilian strip somewhere yeah. in the middle of a BFE flyover state. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, yep, sorry, got to get a hotel room. Yep, we're going to go out in town. We're going to have a steak somewhere, <laughs> yeah. you know, all on the dime. You, you felt like you had dad's car yeah. and, and you got to go, you know, to the next town over. It was just because you did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Only dad's car happened to be a freaking multi-million dollar attack <laughs> helicopter uh, that, you know, you might fly a little bit, you know, below 500 feet every once in a while. <laughs> uh, you know, like maybe like me and uh, I shouldn't say the name just in case he's uh, he's totally out. But me and uh, a guy who, uh, you know, may have a call sign that resembled a character in Bambi. Um we're flying back from uh, California and we're out there in New Mexico uh, and that, that long strip of desert uh, that, where there's nothing except for a railroad track. And that railroad track's got a freaking train on it miles long. And we're like, yep. let's go check that out. <laughs> there we go, you know, breaking for the deck and going down. And we put that thing, you know, that Cobra's nose over right next to this freaking um, – this train going in the middle of the New Mexico desert. And these guys are waving out the train going nuts. They're like, wow. <laughs> and we're right up next to them and we're giving them the shock sign, And they're just like, yeah, yeah awesome. <laughs> no, no one else is out there. We just did that for a couple seconds, you know, just watching them and we're both waving at each other. They're getting, they're just beside themselves going, yeah, this is awesome. And we're kind of like, yeah, this is awesome. And then we just did this, you know, I just pulled it back and did this breakaway and up and climb. And it was, you know, and we just kind of looked at each other like, that's and we just got great, paid. man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, across countries for me were never, a, were never a nut roll. I loved them. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I mean is I, you know, in retrospect, I think having that transitioning out of the Marine Corps and giving up that range where you know somebody's going to tell you, hey, you're taking that bird to California. Like, I don't know how I'm going to fill that gap in in my life, but I'm, I'm literally now – rearranging uh my financial goals so that i have that ability in my life again i want to have a plane that i can jump in and fly to arizona if i want to yep that's what i want to do well um we could we should talk offline bill's been talking about that too um which kind of surprised me i didn't i guess bill is uh yeah he's gonna miss flying more than he more than he thought i guess because he's like yeah man we should get a, we should get a plane and i was like well okay yeah um <laughs> Let's talk about it. It's uh, that easy. I mean, I had one for five years. Yeah, and so I, that would be awesome. I tell people, Chunks, all the time, I'm like, there's no better way to see the United States of America than in a helicopter. 
Yeah. Cross country in a helicopter. Yeah. Because if you want to stop and look, well, the helicopter can stop. <laughs> and go backwards. And then go drive. And and so I and you're down low the whole time. It, it is so it it you know we we won't be able to describe it to people that don't fly. Uh, and certainly that don't fly helicopters, just how amazing it is to go across this country in a helicopter and, uh, and have people like literally coming out and just, you know, waving American flags at you, uh, just going, hey, damn, that's awesome, man. <laughs> so there's almost this feeling when it comes to military aircraft that, you know, there's, well, for most, I think, Americans, okay, that, that, that was worth my tax dollars. <laughs> you know, it, it supersedes the noise complaining. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing like that. I, I, I definitely miss that. You know, I want to go back to something you said, by the way, Chunks, and I, I, we make fun of course of our, uh, of our, uh, you know, being helo bubba's instead of uh, sexy strike guys, but you're absolutely right. And so here's, here's the other thing I'll say to that is, one, I love to joke like that. Like we're the freaking uh, blue collar guys that yeah. didn't, you know, uh, you know, cool. so the guys that there, you know, we just didn't, we didn't catch on to, you know, until RI eight <laughs> instead of RI two, right? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this guy freaking somehow has the genes that he's able to put it all together early on, gets a few more buffs. I got it about RI eight. I was like, oh, okay, light bulb, bing, got it. I see what's going on here. A little computer game, okay, and then you, and then you're good. Um, I went back, and you know this, uh, I, I went back. One of the greatest times of my life, really, was going back as an instructor uh, in, in T-34 land. I went back to Corpus Christi. I did a tour oh, there as an instructor yeah. teaching all the new guys uh, to how to fly, you know, from, their, from FAM-1 on through aerobatics and formation aerobatics and, uh, and all of their instrument flights. And, and that was an incredible eye-opener. The bottom line is none of these – none of us – there's not a military aviator out there that, uh, that got through, right. That fell through the cracks, so to speak. If you made it, you made it that, that there is no two ways about it. And you are, and, and we are no less aviators. As a matter of fact, uh, there are plenty of guys, like you said, that were flying CH 46s uh, that would have been the, the best jock on the, on the carrier, you know, okay. Three wire every time. And so the going back as an instructor showed me that because here's the deal. Those kids, it, it really is about when you catch on, how quickly you get it, uh, and then, you, you know, your grades fall out accordingly, and, you know, the Navy has, Naval Aviation has no really better way to do it. You have to reward those guys that, that perform better, right? It, it, it does seem quite unfair to me to say, you know, like a quality spread, I, as much as it would probably maybe have helped me, <laughs> you know, when I was a little further down than that, that, that cutoff, but um, – the bottom line is, you, you, you know, you reward those guys, and that's fine. When you go back as an instructor, and by the time I left there as an instructor, I, I mean, there, was I the best T-34 pilot? No. Was I better than every student there? Yes. By a mile, right? And so I, I was so good with that aircraft that there, I, I, I remember thinking, oh, my God, if I was a flight student right now with this, I, they would be like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so um, I would have gotten whatever my choice was. I would have been Commodore's List with distinction and, and on to other things. It really is about, you know, just who gets there fastest in flight school. And, but none of us are, yeah, you know, this idea that as Hilo Bubbles, we should be like, ah, second-class citizens. No, nah, no, nah, you're not. You, you, you made it. And especially in the Marine Corps, there's more of that um, because, you know, Hilo Aviation in the Marine Corps is uh, – 
uh, is definitely not a second class citizen because that's what we do, you know, as amphibious right. groups and, uh, and expeditionary, that's more what we do. That's right. Uh, no, 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 obviously not taken away from our, our fixed wing, you know, strike brethren or our C-130 guys love them, love them all. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things that I, I, I love about Marine Corps aviation. And I got to fly two different, uh, I'm one of the few guys that I know that, that actually flew two different platforms in the Marine Corps and was a section leader in two. And uh, yeah, so having done uh, assault uh, transport helicopters, uh, CH-53s out in Hawaii, and then, and then going over to Cobras, you know, via an instructor tour uh, was one of those things that was, and that's why, like when you were saying, you know, getting to learn a new helicopter, I was, I'm jealous because I loved going back and, and going back through the rag you know, when I was a second time learning how to fly the snake. And I was like, dude, this is great, man. This is unbelievable. I get to be a student again and, and I'm a, I'm a freaking field grade officer. <laughs> so that was just a, that was just a lot of fun, man. Uh, yeah. I just think it your, you know, as you brought in your portfolio, it makes you more, more of an accomplished aviator, more of an aviator. And I love that. Yeah. It's really funny what you said about flying T-34s part, because, First of all, truth be told, and you know, if I could have gotten laid once a month, I would have stayed overseas in that war for the for time eternal. It, that's you know, when, when my cloth was cut, it, it was fit to that situation. Um, and I'm glad it, I'm glad I didn't get owned that way, but I certainly could have very easily because I'm I that's man, I was thriving. But I consciously sacrificed the ability to go over to the McCrip program and teach T-34s to do that, man. And I, and I don't regret it, not for a minute, because that was where Marines needed me. But I would have loved it to go fly T-34s because I just – and every guy listening to this thing that was a dick instructor down there, I don't – I won't even say because I don't want it to go out on the air. But how you could miss the opportunity to take a person that was probably from their earliest days wanted to be sitting in that seat and not, and not help them to grow and get where they want to be and just wear their ass out. Like so many guys did down there. It just, it galls me, man. Yep. It galls me. I mean, yeah. you have something wrong in your core if that's the kind of person you are, because I can't imagine a better joy than sitting in that T-34 with a guy up front that all he ever wanted to do was be sitting right there. And you help that guy get to RI-8 so that he makes those discoveries. He may not get the first thing he wants, but every Marine aviator that comes out of flight school with a pair of wings on, whether they got their first choice or not, is going to love what they do, man. And that is unique and rare among any industry or any profession anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm glad you mentioned that about, uh, about the screamers. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we all experienced them going through our flight school. And I remember thinking the same thing, like, what? what is wrong with you? Did, you know, did, did daddy not, did daddy not tell you he loved you enough? I mean, what, the, uh, but that the bottom line is that's probably the case. Uh, those kind of people are, well, one that, you know, there's different types of humans and, and then two, there's just people that, you know, that just aren't, they aren't cut out for teaching if, if yeah. nothing else. Yeah. And I, 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 I always was junks. I, I mean, every, like I, uh, you know, of the few talents I have uh, teaching, I think is one that I, that I have. Um, I love to teach. I love, I love when someone's struggling to get something and I, I'm trying to get them to get it and, and trying to, I, there's nothing better than when I give them some other way of looking at something, uh, or maybe a different technique of trying that and the light bulb comes on and they go, Oh, sure. I, I 
that is it right there. Like I couldn't get this forever. That is, sir, thank you so much. And you're just like, and you know, you watch him do it again and again without you coaching him. And you're like, bang, boom, got it. You're, you're good. You'll, ne- you'll never have to fear this uh, maneuver again because the next guy is going to be like, okay, yeah, he knows how to do this. I love that. I love the light bulb. I love when someone says, oh, man, I was not getting it until you, you explained it that way. I never had any screamers, though, Bart. I had oh, I did. I had a couple. Guy, one Air Force guy that was just deadpan. But the, but the reality is he gave me that insight on formation flying because it took me probably till the second or third one to really – get the idea of relative motion in close proximity when you're flying parade. And he just, he was like, do this, do that. Look at that. You're looking too close. He was brilliant. I mean, he, you didn't want to brief with this guy because he was just deadpan and like not, it was some fun experience, but he taught me and I had that insight with him, but my on wings, my T 34 on wing. Oh my gosh. He was such a great guy. Mike Robbie, the Lieutenant in the Navy P three guy. He would take me flying on maintenance flights. I mean, I just wanted to be around the aircraft. I would never go home, man. I was in, if I wasn't in the ready room, I was in the hangar looking at something, talking to one of those guys. And he would always, he was a maintenance pilot. A couple times like, Hey, do you want to go? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He goes, listen, don't tell anybody. You can't, you're not supposed to get the extra hours outside the program, but we would, we would do ILSs and I'd go up with them just to be in the aircraft. I didn't care, man. And he was a great guy like that. And then my helo on wing, I can't, I can't remember. He was a 53 guy, art something, a short, short guy, just a cool, he was the quintessential helo bubba, man. Nothing, nothing flat. This dude never raised his voice. Like, ah, it's all good, man. <laughs> and that guy, again, with the insight, because you know, a helicopter approach, especially because I flew fixed wing before I went there, that power management down the glide path is a tricky thing for a new guy. And it, it, if you fail in a helicopter, in my opinion, that's where you're going to fail is not understanding that. And when guys prang it on or exceed the power, you know, uh, power available, it's because of that equation. And that is where a helicopter guy makes his money is being good at that, you know, get my power in early and come down the glide path. That dude taught me that because I was not getting it at first. But he's like, nah, just back up. And he would always just, he would just go and fly back up the glide yeah. path. Yeah. <laughs> he was just a cool dude and uh and honestly we had we had personalities that were at the opposite end of the spectrum but i loved flying with that guy because he taught me to to calm the hell down you know what i mean i was so like yes sir no sir and, uh, here's my ep and he's like dude calm down we're just flying a helicopter today Charles, so I, if, I'd have, if i'd have been like you i i think i'd be an astronaut right now Cause I, I was, I was the opposite, man. Like as soon as my stuff was over, I was, I was screaming out the gate, like, okay, man, let's go over to booters. I'm going <laughs> to dance and meet some chicks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was literally, I was like, where's the party, man. Yeah. Right. And I would cram in my study in at the last minute, like, okay, let me fucking memorize this stuff, man. Oh, geez. I, literally. I think that if I had that work ethic, uh, which I definitely don't, um, that I would, uh, yeah. I would, I would probably be in the space station right now, Um, but I definitely was not. (laughs) I was just always like, woohoo, we're out. (laughs) You're 30, man. (laughs) At this point in my life, I think I'm a little jealous of your experience because I was such a nerd, man. (laughs) We're at the base or at the firehouse. And if I was at the firehouse, I was studying or playing basketball. I mean, it was good for you, brother. Yeah. Well, maybe we, yeah, I, I think I wish I was a little bit more in your direction. Um, Maybe you, you wish you were a little bit more, my, but not by much. Otherwise, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. 
if we could combine the talents, man, that, that we, we would be uh, masters of the universe. <laughs> I think we're doing okay right now. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. Um, yeah, I'm so I, my low altitude story though. Can I tell you my low? Yeah, altitude? yeah I was. Yeah, go for it. So, um, in Iraq, you know, you know how difficult it was to root out these guys and actually be able to engage them. So essentially, if they didn't, if you didn't witness a hostile act or the potential for a hostile act, you weren't going to get them, and they could hide extremely well. I remember one day they had a UAS up over drone up over top. They were looking at guys transloading weapons into a pickup truck, and these. They sent a satellite vehicle off because they heard us coming. So here comes this truck leaving that area. Now the UAS can't look at both spots. So they tell us, pick this guy up. But now you had that break in PID, so we couldn't get him. So we fly down, man. And I'll remember this part, man. If I could have landed and stabbed this guy in the neck, I would have. And there are things that didn't happen on this flight that I really wish would have happened. We get down. And this dude is just driving in a concentric circle out into the desert to pull us off the target. And he was doing every bit of 100 miles an hour in that pickup truck across the, the Iraqi desert. I mean, he was a madman. And there were three guys in the vehicle with him. So I get down next to him, me and Matt Mason, man. He was, oh, boy, one of, he was one of my best. I mean, I loved flying with that guy. Him and Boots Batesel. I mean, I just, I just love flying with those guys. So – here goes me and Matt. I'm in the front. I let Matt, in the, you know, this is the day Matt was in the back, which rarely happened when I was over there. And I'm looking at this guy, the right, the passenger side rear seat guy. And we're looking at each other eyeball to eyeball, man, trucking across the desert at 100 miles an hour. They've got a tarp over the bed. I knew it was full of weapons. I knew it was. Couldn't do anything. And we're like kicking flares off, trying to light that tarp on fire to prove that they had weapons. And we're just eyeball to eyeball. The dude is staring at me, warrior to warrior. And, and you know what, man? He knew he punked me out because he knew how the engagement was going to end, that we were going to fly away because we didn't have the rules to get him. I wish I would have shot that son of a bitch because I know they were doing bad things, but that would have been the day that they didn't have anything in there. Chances are good that that guy's dead anyway at this point. Yeah, well, I sure hope so, because I know he was bad, because he was looking at me with the, I'm going to kill you eyeballs, and if you've never experienced that look, you won't have any idea what I'm talking about, but there are plenty of guys listening to this thing that are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. That guy wanted to do me harm, and I, and I was reflecting back in him the same look he was giving me, and had I had the opportunity, man, I would have taken it in a fucking heartbeat, but. I couldn't believe they were with the way they were driving that car. It's probably one of the smartest things I've seen anybody do over there. <clears throat> but ultimately, this is what happened. Just so the come up with of it is those guys got away because we bingoed out, but the rest of them on target, they vectored LAV 25s over there and they got them with like the nick of time, balled them up. So net victory. I wanted those bastards in that truck. Yeah, and LAV will. <laughs> <laughs> will ruin your fucking day. That's, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. That's a great story, Chunks. Definitely a great story. I, you know, the eyeball to eyeball with another guy that's uh, that's a warrior. Yeah, those guys are not dumb. I mean, I you know you tell people that all the time. Those guys are not dumb. They're they're actually quite brilliant uh, within the parameters of what they're able to do. You know, um, and they're limited compared to us in terms of technology. But they're, they're but, but their worldview is just uh, t yeah, it, goofy man. Yeah. Um, but their primary virtue is a warrior's heart. I mean, they are just brave. They just have balls of steel. Yep. Of yeah. Well, I, I mean, every, every time we talk like this and, you, and you know, 
I, I remember my dad saying that same thing about the, uh, the NBA. He's like, they, they were horrible. You know, we would beat them. We would whip them at every turn. Cause, but boy, they had, they had zeal. They, yeah. they would not stop coming. Right. Um, and I was like, yep, that's, uh, there, there's virtue in that, you know, even if, uh, we, even if we don't see the world in the same ways. But, yeah, that's, that's just awesome, man. Yeah, well, that's a better low-level story than my train story for sure, brother. The guys on the train didn't want to kill me. They wanted to Those guys are still talking about it, I guarantee you that. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Yeah, those, no, those guys wanted to give me a beer. <laughs> it's a different eyeball-to-eyeball look. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, and so, there's just so much. I, I, you know, in terms of flying stories, too, I, I've had so many great, so many great experiences in, in a plane or helicopter that, you know, or just the people that don't fly will never, will never understand. I, I watched, the, you know, I watched the sunset eight times one night over the Pacific Ocean coming back from, uh, coming back from Molokai over to Oahu. I, I was with Porkchop, Davenport, um, and we're flying back, man, and we're watching the sun go down. The crew chiefs are up on the, uh, are up on the jump seat there, uh, and, uh, we watched that sun go down over the Pacific and we're, you know, it's another one of those moments chunks where we're like, I can't believe we're getting paid to do this. This is, we had just come from Molokai yeah. where we flew down the back. There, there's a Valley back there. You go up this one, um, this draw and for lack of a better term, it's more like a Valley. You know, you go up this draw, you get up to the top Ridge of those mountains on Molokai and it, and there's a, there's a, there's a little saddle that you go through. It's usually covered with clouds, but you can go right through the saddle and you come down the other side of it. And, and it's, you basically do a, uh, you know, an auto rotation, you just lower the collective. It's so steep, this valley, and you're just, and it's Jurassic Park. And we're just like, this is amazing. There's waterfalls, countless waterfalls on either side of us as we're coming down this draw, this canyon. And then we, we, we you know, we, we scoop it out right at the end. There's a little hut on a beach there with people that are living just the, the freaking life, <laughs> you know, and there, and, and we, we, we pull it off and we go back, we're headed back to Wahoo. We're watching the sunset. And as it sets, we're just all quiet and it sets, you know, finally. And we're like, man, that was, that was beautiful. And I'm, I'm at the controls and I was like, let's do it again. And I just pulled that collective and we, <laughs> Oh, rocket shipped up. And here comes the sun again, right back up. And we just went, Watched it go. Do it again. We did it eight times. We watched sunset eight times. I was like, yeah, there's very few people that can say they watched the sunset eight times in a night, bro. You know, we're all just looking at each other, high yeah, five, and like, yeah, man. <laughs> so I, those kind of things. Um, that one stood out, of course. And there was another time we did a – I remember, again, teaching – it was uh, in Corpus Christi when I was instructing. We're coming back on a uh, – uh, a nav flight and it was a day nav but it was late in the day so as we're we, we do our nav route and uh the, you know the kid's doing fine he's got his maps and all that and we're on our way back and i was like here why don't i take the controls for a while you did good and, and we're flying down the coast there in corpus christi and as we're flying down the coast as we kind of come towards it that moon is coming up and it is a full moon and it's coming up over the gulf there and it, it's one of those moons that as it keeps coming up you, you, it almost it probably was like a super moon and we didn't, I didn't even know, but, but it looked like it was going to collide with the earth. It was one of those. And so this full moon is just above the horizon and it's so big that it's almost, it, it's surreal. We're, we're, I mean, it's almost like frightening, like being beside a whale in the ocean. You're like looking at it like, Holy, I've never seen a moon look that big. And so I, I was like, Hey, Hey, 
Uh, and I was like, okay, well, don't tell anybody what we were doing. And, and I just pointed that, that T-34 out right towards the moon, right out over the Gulf. And I just did this, this slow sweeping barrel roll all the way around with the moon, keeping that moon right on the edge of the canopy all the way back. Boom. And then stopped. And then I did it again and again. And, you know, on the third one, I was like, that's pretty cool. And I, and I pulled it away, you know, and the, and the student hasn't said anything the whole time. And I pulled it away and we're, we're headed back to base. Um, and, and like, you know, there's this long pause and I'm just kind of smiling like, man, that was pretty cool. I get, I guess this kid doesn't appreciate it because he's not saying anything. And then after yeah. this long pause, he just goes, breaks the sound. He goes, sir, that was the coolest thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> And I was like, damn, yeah. And I, then I start like, I was like, yeah, right. That was awesome, man. <laughs> He's like, sir, I, that was, I don't even know what to say. And so, you know, we go back to base and we barely debriefed because we were both high five. And then <laughs> I like to think that that kid probably still remembers me. I can't remember his name, but. Yeah, because you gave him two belows on the flight, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding? He was in the nav syllabus. I probably gave him five Sorry, above just because. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we were doing aerobatics on a non-aerobatic flight. I was like, hey, man, keep your mouth shut. Here's a couple of bubs. Have fun out there. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, man, it's been great flying those things. And But, but you know, I was going to list favorite aircraft today, and I'm, I'm running short on time now. Well, I'll be good. Piper Tomahawk, I talked about it before. This little T-tail thing. It had this bulb canopy. It went under certification review. I don't even see him on the ramps anymore. I don't even know what happened to him. But um, I loved flying that airplane, little 90-knot wonder. In fact, when I got down to flight school, I went over to Pensacola Aviation, and they had one there. And I was like, I just want to rent this thing and fly it down the beach. It was just so much fun. I loved that aircraft. It had a little quadrant in the middle, and you could look behind you and see out the back of the aircraft. It was just – I just really liked that airplane. Yeah, I don't even know that aircraft. I and then I've been flying – my aircraft recce is bad, though. I, I don't, so I don't know a lot, but we should do that, Chunks. We, why don't, we should just go rent a plane anyway. I know you don't have a lot of time. But. Dude, I would be checked out now if it wasn't for COVID-19. I mean, I had appointments down at uh, Quakertown to get checked out because I'm ready now to bring my children in. This thing. I want to take, I mean, I'm talking about flying to Canada or anything, but, you know, down the shore for a day or head down to Virginia. Tangier Island, a really cool yeah. spot. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been there in 20 20- but when I went there last time, they still spoke in an old English dialect all over the island. It's a really cool. The only way to get there is by boat or by plane. That's right. Yeah. Down in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. It's a neat spot. Yeah. Tangier is out. For, for those of you who don't know or listen to somewhere else, Tangier is a little island in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and for and and like John said, you, you can only get there by boat or plane, uh, which meant that for most of history, people weren't going there. And so you had this entire culture that as uh, that is uh formed on the island where they even have their own dialect uh, even though they're surrounded by uh you know mainland usa on all sides but but tangier island chesapeake bay is this little sort of uh, microcosm that that happened i think it's a little less so now and 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 i think tangier island's disappearing uh, from what i've read uh um the water level has been rising steadily for, for them. physical all right so yeah they yeah. Their, their way of life is uh is is going the way of the dodo of course but but yeah dude I, I i've been to tangier island we actually took the boat out there um i yeah i would let's we should do that man we should fly planes and i definitely wanted to talk about coolest planes by the way and i yeah we've been going for an hour so i don't yeah i mean if you've got to go you got to go but 
Um, but I was ready for that because I was like, okay. I got to hear your coolest planes. What? I got to hear your coolest planes. Oh, well, okay. So right off the bat, it, it's the F4F. Wait a minute. The yeah, Corsair? the Grumman, the Grumman F4F, uh, oh, yeah. Pacific Fighter, Gull yeah, Wing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The 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 F4F was my, uh, and then frankly, probably my second favorite favorite is is another F4, the F4 Phantom. I would probably put that as my second favorite. Uh, but the the F4F, uh, if I could fly the F4 off of carriers in the Pacific campaign, uh, that that, I mean, that thing is just so that. that you know the the whole no it's like it's like this huge plane that's all engine and like the pilot's sitting in like the back quarter right <laughs> three yeah, quarters yeah. of it is this huge engine and then the pilot's in the back quarter and uh you know those things were so torqued that you had to they, they would flip they, they i can't remember what they called it they, but if you gave it too much on the ground the plane would flip over on the ground yeah. uh, they had it so taxiing that thing was tough because not only would it might it might it not uh, it might flip on you, but you couldn't see because <laughs> it's a tail dragger and that, yes. Yeah, so they actually were swerving to taxi so they could look out the side to see what was coming up, man. But once you got going in that thing, man, and that, that beautiful gold wing and that bubble canopy all the way in the back and man, oh man, flying up against, uh, flying up against Japanese fighters in the Pacific would have been something else, man. You've seen that show, Black Sheep Squadron, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're aging ourselves again, but that's freaking awesome. It comes on MeTV every so often. I record the episodes and they come on. Yeah. I, I watched that show religiously as a kid, man, and I just love that show. I've seen Top Gun over 500 times. Of course, if you ask the guys at the Firehouse, the only movies I've ever seen are Top Gun, The Patriot, and Fury. All good choices if you had three to pick. Not bad. <laughs> I got. I'd have to have the Shawshank Redemption in there, which has nothing to do with flying, but uh, a little great one. But yeah, uh, so that that's my that's my favorite plane. I, I, well, you know the F four on on McGuire was from the hundred eighth Fighter Wing. You know the one that sits at the at the traffic circle has yeah. the midfill on it. Yeah. So Jersey Air National Guard used to fly F fours, and yeah, I, would I know. Yeah. Air shows when I was you know lived there, and um, when I was a kid. My dad would bring me up. He would get horribly sunburned. He didn't care. It's an annual thing, man. We're at the air show. And I talked to an F4 guy, and I remember him saying, the J79 engine proves that if you put enough thrust on a barn door, it will fly. That's what he would used to say about the F4 Phantom fighter jet. And I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> yep, I guess a barn door could definitely uh, – produce lift with enough thrust <laughs> so I, t- I took pictures what? of all the all the planes on sticks when i went over there to get my helmet last week or two yeah. weeks ago and, uh, i stopped and took pictures of that f4 with that had the mig kill because i just thought man this is a piece of history sitting right here yeah it absolutely is yeah is that well so what's your favorite plane my favorite all-time plane oh dude the, the cobra i mean by far I mean, honestly, um, I mean, I've, I've loved all the same planes that you've loved. The P-51 in my heart. Love that Tomahawk. The BK-117, which is the quintessential EMS aircraft. I've, I've flown that thing for years and years. I'm just now transitioning out of it. That's why I went to that school. I'm going to miss flying that thing because it was just a big-ass Jeep. Do anything you wanted it to do. Just a beautiful aircraft. But the Cobra hands down it the cobra takes a shitty pilot and makes them look good and it takes a good pilot and it makes them look great the thing has so much power 
And, you know, prior to combat, every guy that flew that thing had its doubts about the drive shaft or the engines or this or that, what might not do well, but all of it did phenomenally well in that arena. And I'm talking about coming back with battle damage all the time and bringing guys back. I mean, I, I just, I just love that aircraft. It is a pilot's helicopter. It's old technology. It's the closest thing to flying a P-51 that you're going to find, you know, post-World War II. And, but it had enough technology in it to keep it relevant to the, to the fight. And when you put it in the hands of Marines, they fucking made miracles happen. And, um, and I just, I loved it. I loved every minute in that thing. And I'm, it, it'll, I know I can't imagine flying anything going forward that'll eclipse the joy that I would get flying that aircraft. See, um, that's, I love that chunks. I, you know, the Cobra was so badass, and I feel so, um, so blessed to have flown that with, uh, with so many great guys. Um, and this is part of my personality and why I'm, I can't pick, why I wouldn't pick the Cobra because anytime I get something, anytime I've had it, in my mind, I'm like, oh well, it can't be that. It, it can't be that special, then. I mean, if I can do it. Oh come on, man, dude, that is totally. You know me, chunks, and this, and right now, you're going. That that's so Bart because it that's, is. Well, yeah, exactly. because that's what I do. Like I get so I get somewhere, I get to something, and 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 it, it might be something that I've I've wanted and desired and been like, yes, 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 and then when I get there, I'm like, eh, what what else? What else? Because that is my personality. What yeah. else? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, there's people out there that are going, dude, the Cobra is the best aircraft ever to exist. And, and, and here I am going, nah, sure. Wish I flew something else. Sure. Sure. <laughs> wish there was something else. I guarantee if I was flying an F4F off a carrier in the Pacific and, and, and battling the Japanese, uh, I would be like, ah, what else, man? What else? Right. Guaranteed. Because that's who, that's how I am. And what a crappy brain, man. I wish I could change oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> but you got to give yourself credit for you yeah. got to take stock of what you've done, man. Yeah. I, mean, I, just, I came out of that AC-130, Bart, man, and it is like it, it literally has as much technology in it as an airliner. Touchscreen, GPS. I mean, the thing will, will – it will think your problems away, and three, three key presses later, you've got everything you need in front of you to be safe and efficient in that aircraft. It is, it is marvelous. I, I couldn't believe it. Like I literally was sitting there like, I can't believe there's touchscreens in an aircraft. I had so much information that the biggest challenge for me in training was figuring out how to configure everything yeah. so that I didn't have redundant information coming into my head. Yep. And I did not solve that problem in a week's worth of training. I'm going to have to really dig into the books and power for days. I mean, it's just a gray helicopter. And I was surprised because it doesn't look like a gray helicopter. But in spite of all that, that Cobra with its power and, and and somehow I only ever got hit by one bullet in the damn thing. I, I don't know how that ever happened, but um, yeah, it, it brought me back every time, man, without fail. And every other guy too. Yeah, it you're did, right. I mean, the power. Uh, yeah. You know, so I flew the 53s first and you would think that that's, but the Cobra has way more power for, for its, uh, for its airframe. Yeah. You never lacked. I mean, you could always pull the collective. Uh, that's right. Unless, unless you get, I mean, unless you were just a dumb pilot. Um, you know, uh, sh short of uh, maneuvering in combat, that you'd ha you'd be hard pressed to get yourself into a position where the power uh, was not enough. And but and when you consider the number of guys, like on this hand, you can think of the guys that have ever done that in a cobra. It's very few. Yeah. Yep. Honestly, we we yeah. And there was all and there's always circumstances that 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 
that would that caused that that led to that that was not um and and so and where you can understand how it happened it's, right. it's not yeah yeah so yep loved it man you know the other thing about it, <laughs> so this is this is one of those things where whereas pilots you know and we're marine combat pilots so it's, it shouldn't matter at all uh but but one thing that i always tell people about the cobra uh besides the fact that it has 20 millimeter gatling cannon on the front of it which makes it absolutely the best fixed forward guns is my favorite way to shoot that gun fixed forward from the back seat it's almost like you yeah, it's almost like you are the gun, man. You just, wherever you're pointing that, you know, wherever you're pointing it, it's just so fun. Fix forward. 20 millimeters, by far my favorite battlefield weapon. It's just badass, far man. Far ahead of my next favorite, which is the 60 millimeter mortar. Yeah. Millimeter candidate. People are always asking, they always ask about the helmet sub site, you know, the helmet sight system on that, you know, oh, can you turn your head and make it? And it's like, yeah, you can. Uh, that's, um, Frankly, I, I didn't ever use that, and uh, fixed forward is the best way to shoot yeah. that gun still, in my opinion. Like, yeah, that seems sexy, but uh, there's nothing like, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I thought that system was a hunk of crap. Yeah. It, 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 the, the logic that we used in peacetime got completely debunked to me in combat, where guys would go, well, you just returned to suppress. But I'm like, you can suppress a guy that's worried about his ass ending up in a sling. You can't suppress a guy that doesn't care about dying. Yeah. All he's doing is correcting his bead. So he's got the jump on you. He's got the initiative. Throwing rounds out there for the sake of it, all you're doing is wasting ammo. Yeah. So you had to extend, get away, and come back and kill that guy. There wasn't any middle ground to be living in, hanging in there, trying to get a solution you're never going to get or suppressing. I just thought I didn't use it. Thought it was a stupid, stupid thing. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, I won't call it stupid. I'll just say that its efficacy was uh, was left much to be desired in yeah. terms of how in, in terms of Howard employing the cobra in, in actual uh combat maneuvers so but yeah i always tell people i'm like yeah we have that i i don't particularly think much of it i would much rather turn my cobra towards the enemy and fixed forward <laughs> yeah, yeah, fixed just hit that result. switch man fixed just switch it up and be like okay <laughs> i love that man rocket and gun runs from the back seat were definitely my favorite every time um the target was very satisfying too what's that Pickling a hellfire into a target was very, oh. very satisfying. Yeah. And that thing shacked. It was nice. Um, and and the, the, the underwhelming thing I was about to say is I've flown a lot of different aircraft. Um, the, the Cobra has by far the best environmental system of oh. any aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. people yeah. underestimate how important that is. Uh, but we need need we remind our listeners that uh, in the summer in, in the Euphrates River Valley, it's 125 degrees uh, routinely on the deck. Well, let me tell you that thing with a greenhouse canopy over top of you, and you're going to start melting very soon. And when you start melting, your 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 mental acuity decreases. So when you get that Cobra going and you pull in power, that Ice chunks blow. No, ice chunks are blow literally forming and blowing out of the freaking vents onto you. And it's got the greatest thing, and this is what I love to tell people is it's got a vent in the seat. It's blowing icy air onto your nutsack, which yeah. is you you cannot <laughs> no one will understand that's right <laughs> how great the greatest is. feeling in the world you're like adjusting how you're sitting just to get that air going up into the flight yeah. like oh yeah unzipping uh, yeah and well, listen, uh, let me tell you about the time that when it's warm. cold though chunks let me say this too when it's cold and you go to full heat you you can oh. melt plastic you have to oh, be very God. careful 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, if you didn't do the air conditioner just right, you could get the the duct to swell up and block the stick. That's right. That's right. Yeah, which we, which I had happen one time actually. Yeah. And that's friggin' scary whenever you move the controls. Absolutely. I remember we actually landed at that 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 little strip out there in Carlsbad rather than going to Pendleton because I was like, I, I can barely move this thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But me and Gromit took a flight in Iraq one day. Mark, you remember Gromit Discs? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So, um, and it was just supposed to be one of these TQ down to Baghdad cash and back. Well, we ended up being in that aircraft for, I don't know, somewhere north of four or five hours. No air conditioner on a, on a normal day. And I will tell you this part, man, and you know how I am, man. I came back from that flight and if they asked me to go out right away, I, I couldn't have gone. I literally fell out of the front seat and I felt like somebody was stabbing me with knives in my gut. Like I was so dehydrated and smoked from being in that cockpit. I, I, I was physically incapable of taking another flight for a little while. Yeah. And uh, man, that was, and that was, that just goes to show you, I was like, you know, you know how it is, man. Things don't work sometimes. Like, all right, we're going. That was, I don't want to say it was a mistake and I'm glad I didn't have the experience came through it. Okay. But it just goes to show you how important that air conditioner is in that thing. The original Cobra had uh, tinted windows to alleviate the problem of the, uh, of the heat buildup in the cockpit. And you know, it was too, like you get in that thing on a hot summer day, uh, and you put those, you know, how the, yeah. The buckles Metal, on the, uh, yeah. Oh God, you touch your neck and it was oh. like, <laughs> yeah, you would literally have burn marks if you were, yeah. yeah, I always on summer day, I would pull my, my collar up every time. Yeah. I always wore mine up anyway, but yeah. It, it still managed to get in there and, and get me a couple of times. So funny, man. The Cobra with all its freaking badass weaponry. Of course, we've talked about, we touched on it. It's all good. You know, when you put a laser-guided missile into something, that's a lot of fun. When you're firing a 20-millimeter gallon cannon, that's fun. Uh, but never underestimate a good air conditioning, especially um, if it's blowing on your ball sack, which is yeah, just yeah. a lot of <laughs> a lot of goodness. It's so perfect. <laughs> that's why we love this aircraft. <laughs> Oh man, well, good stuff, brother. That well, I, I'll tell you what—that's probably—it's way over the time you said you had, Chunks. Uh, yeah, no, this always happens. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, so that's good. Man. That was a great conversation. We need to do this more often. And what we need to do is we need to start inviting our uh, our buddies. You know, we mention them all the time. Uh, we should just get them to do this. We'll we'll do Zoom meetings, and uh, you know, now that I got this uh, the studio working from here, it's it's just so much easier. Um, obviously you and I want to get back in the studio when Ming and, uh, opens that back up, but we, we need to get our buddies to, uh, to come up here. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was just talking to Burger uh, the other day on, on Facebook and, uh, Are you kidding me? That guy won't return my calls. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, you know, um, so, uh, but, but he even said, he, he was like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta come talk. I was like, dude, open invitation. And he's, he's got a great story too. I mean, he's got a DFC. Uh, yeah. Um, that dude is a legit hero yeah absolutely well so are you chunk so um but but that that story is quite amazing quite amazing yeah uh so Little balls on that guy yeah yeah absolutely that, guy that was with him that day yeah you know. yeah so we, we got to have him on there's so many others that we should have on too um but all right well chunks that's that's all i got man me too bart man well, i got a lot more but i yeah, got, what i don't got is time so yeah well, that's good because that just means we got more episodes and we'll, uh, we'll talk more about this another time. So I want to hear some more uh, Chunks combat stories for sure. All right. <laughs> I love that look. You're like, 
Roll the eyes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, brother. Okay, well, thanks, man. man. Great talking to you, bro. You too. Take care. Yep. Talk to you soon, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here again today in the Ready Room. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more of the same in the near future with intriguing and inspirational guests from all walks of life. If you did like it and you want to join us again, please subscribe to The Ready Room and take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, your favorite podcast app, wherever it is you're going to get your podcasts. Uh, You can also find us online at readyroombrief.com. I've been your co-host, Richard Frederick, And on behalf of Chunks and myself, we really thank you for being here. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll join us next time in the Ready Room.